The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. Welcome to a brand new edition of the Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy McCarthy, and on this week's show, we have all the reaction from Glanmire and O'Donovan Ross's magnificent All-Ireland Intermediate and Junior A semi-final victories. We speak to the management and the players from both camps and look ahead to their All-Ireland final appearances. AFLW expert and Aussie Rules coach Mike Curran reviews the 2023 AFLW Grand Final between Brisbane and North Melbourne, recapping a brilliant matchup, including all the Irish players' contributions. Formula One expert and Big Red Bench presenter Sarah McKenzie Foley reviews the 2023 F1 season, highlighting her standout moments and drivers. Cork's Red FM's rugby expert Wendy Keenan has all the latest women's AIL, Munster Adult Division 1 and Division 2 and the Munster Under-18 youth results from the past week. We also have news of two Celtic Cup Irish teams who will meet in Musgrave Park at the end of December. That's all to come on this week's Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. AFLW Ireland's Mike Curran joined me on this week's Cork's Red FM Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast to provide analysis, comment and his expert coaching opinion on the 2023 AFLW Grand Final between the Brisbane Lions and the North Melbourne Kangaroos. Mike recapped the final in great detail and analysed each Irish player's performance as the Lions overcame the Kangaroos. Well, we finally got there. We finally reached it um, at the end, finally, of the 2023 AFLW season. The grand final took place in Icon Park on the 3rd of December and Brisbane Lions triumphed 44-27 over the North Melbourne Kangaroos. The uh, Brisbane Lions back again winning their second round, or their second, sorry, the flag, and a fantastic performance by them, and what a season it's been for them. There's only one man to talk to who's been with us every step of the way throughout this AFLW 2023 season, and that is Mike Curran of AFLW Ireland. Mike, you're very welcome back uh, to the Big Red Bench. We got there, the grand finals in the history books, and Brisbane got the job done. It is an amazing win for, uh, and an amazing season for Brisbane. There was no sleep Saturday night, but it was worth it to see this game. It was an absolute cracker. As you said, Lions have won their second premiership. So now they've become only the second team after Adelaide to win multiple premierships, which is interesting. This was their fifth final. They now hold the record for most grand finals as well. Um, so absolutely astonishing. And if you think about it, before we get into the nitty-gritty of the game, you know, they've been through a bit of adversity throughout the season. They lost a lot of key players to the expansion clubs, including some best and fairest and all Australian players uh, going down to Melbourne to Hawthorne and St Kilda. They finished fourth on the ladder this season after a couple of prize losses against Richmond and St Kilda in the home and away season. So they actually went into this final as underdogs, which seems bizarre, with, with everybody really predicting the fairy tale season for not Melbourne was going to continue. And this game was down in Melbourne, you know, sell-out crowd, 12,616 people at Icon Park, amazing atmosphere. But, yeah, it was an intriguing game, you know, ferocious intensity throughout, as you would expect from two excellent teams with such a big prize at stake. Like, there wasn't an inch of space anywhere in this game. Um, and, and the game, as as is often the case in finals like this, was decided by a few key defining moments. And we'll touch on those a little bit later on. A couple of those including or came from Irish superstar Orlo O'Dwyer. But yeah, amazing win for, for Lions and a brilliant end to the season for them to become champions for the second time. Indeed. As you said, there was a few twists and turns in this grand final week. So can you talk us through how this fantastic game unfolded? Oh, for sure. You know, the game had everything. As I said, there wasn't an ounce of space anywhere. The, the first quarter opened. It was tough, tight. It was congested, low scoring. In fact, Brisbane Lions didn't score at all in the first quarter. Um, 
there wasn't much action uh, on the scoreboard. Not that many people would have noticed because the in, the intensity was so high. But it almost went scoreless before Kangaroo's star Jasmine Gardner stepped up with a set shot goal from about 40 metres out to, to put the Kangaroos on the board with one goal at quarter time. Um, North did suffer a significant injury in that opening quarter uh, with a game injury, injury suspected to be an Achilles, an Achilles tendon tear to Jenna Bruton, uh, who you remember last week we were talking about was the best player on show for Kangaroos in the preliminary final. So that was a big loss, no question about that. But Lions also lost a player in the first quarter, Taylor Smith, with a back injury. So um, it, it had everything effectively, you know. So then Brisbane responded at the start of the second quarter with a goal through Charlie Mullins, and they're back in the game. However, Jasmine Garner strikes again, literally a couple of minutes later, and adds her second for the game to to cement the Kangaroos' forward territory dominance. You know, in the in these opening quarters, the Kangaroos were on top. They were getting inside 50 a bit more. We didn't saw Brisbane claw a goal back through Ellie Hampson. So at halftime, it was 2-1 to 2-2, literally 14-13, one point in it with Kangaroos in front. Could not be closer. Um, then we rolled to the third quarter. We saw one of the moments we mentioned earlier on. North had the first inside 56 in this quarter. Uh, failed to register a score, but looked to be getting a stranglehold on the game. But step up, Orla O'Dwyer with a brilliant goal off her left with Brisbane's first inside 50. And that put them uh, ahead, albeit momentarily. We then saw a brilliant goal down the other end after an amazing mark from Kate Shearer, one of North Kangaroo's tall forwards and one of their stars, who she had been relatively quite up to this point, And that was primarily due to some brilliant defensive work from Jennifer Dunn. We mentioned she was going to be a key defender on some of these big players and, and she stood up on the big day. Kangaroos were back in front. They then added another goal from Anna O'Loughlin to put the margin out to seven points. So at three-quarter time, uh, they were seven points up. They looked like they were going to be heading towards the first premiership. They'd led it all three breaks with a massive home crowd, home crowd behind them getting louder and louder. But... We got the final quarter that we deserved. Absolutely stunning. You know, another few key moments here. Orla O'Dwyer stepped up with a goal-saving intervention. And if you haven't seen this, look it out in the highlights because it's probably one of the crucial points on which the game turned. Um, Brisbane Lions had the ball. Phoebe Monaghan had won a mark. She chose to kick backwards, change of direction, but it was intercepted and turned her whole team on the back foot. Uh, the ball was kicked in towards the square with an incoming forward and Ola O'Dwyer managed to get her left hand onto it and tap it away. That was absolutely crucial because another goal at that point for Kangaroos would have really swung the momentum in their favour. But the final quarter hero was Dakota Davidson, the Brisbane Lions all-star forward. Remember, there was huge injury concerns about her coming into this game after she injured her knee in the preliminary final. She was relatively quiet throughout the game up to the final quarter but we then saw two brilliant marks and two brilliant goals from her. So that was the turning point in this game. Their star forward stepped up, got her two goals. Ellie Hampson then added another goal for Brisbane Lions, her second on the day. So far, the Lions had scored three goals in that final quarter to none for North Melbourne. And finally, the icing on the cake came from the Lions' captain, Bree Cohen, who was absolutely immense in this game. She took out the best and fairest award. Uh, it was without question, it was unanimous. She had 19 disposals, 7 marks, 10 tackles, and this goal to steal the game for Brisbane Lions, their fourth goal in the fourth quarter, uh, to to run out winners by 17 points. 
Yes, and that's about as good a summation as we could have asked for. It was a game that ebbed and flowed, and there were some key moments in it, and how important was Oro Dwyer's tap, as you said, from behind in a, in a game-changing moment. But there were other Irish players involved in this grand final as well, Mike. How did they fare? Yeah, look, we had four Irish players in, in action in the grand final, which was fantastic to see. Before the game started, we knew there was guaranteed medals coming back to Ireland. It was just a case of where they were going. We had Oro Dwyer, who we've mentioned already for Brisbane Lions, uh, a brilliant goal, a brilliant goal-saving intervention, 11 disposals, seven tackles throughout the game in a, in a grand final. That, that's ferocious intensity. We mentioned Jennifer Dunn, outstanding in defence as a key defender on key forwards there for Brisbane Lions. And it was fantastic to see Jennifer's parents, Derek and Orla, over at the grand final uh, after spending the last couple of weeks in Australia. Um, for Jennifer, an amazing record. She's become the first play- player ever now to win an EFL Premiership and an All-Ireland in the same year. We've had a couple of players who have won both. Sinead Goldrick has won both. Ty Kennelly has won both in the men's. It's never been done before in the same year. So that's an amazing achievement for the history books for Jennifer and remember in her first season. So incredibly um, brilliant for her and very proud myself to, uh, of Jennifer because I was involved in getting her over to the Lions earlier this season. Across on the kangaroo side, you've got a feel for Eric O'Shea and Neve Martin, Erica was brilliant again throughout this game. You know, never give up. Huge intensity throughout. She had five tackles across the game. We also saw her parents and sister, John and Maria, flying over to surprise her for the game as well. So that was a lovely moment. And of course, Tipperary's Neve Martin also in action with her parents already in Australia after staying on from their win in the preliminary final. So uh, big Irish involvement from all players and great to see the Irish families there to, to share in the celebrations. And on the flip side, in the disappointment for Kangaroos, but I think there's no doubt that Kangaroos will be back. Yes, I agree with you. It's been, a, as you said, a fairy tale season up to the final uh, on their home ground as well, like on Park. It was all set up, but look, Brisbane were certainly deserving winners. Mike, just a couple of quick questions to finish. What does it say about Adelaide and Melbourne? Because they topped these two teams in the ladder um, and they had a kind of up and down season. But what does it say about them heading into next year? Adelaide are obviously going to bounce back, as are the Demons. But when the teams have finished third and fourth on the ladder come out on top. Are we seeing uh, an evening off now in the top eight? Without question. You know, I think we've we've said many times throughout the season that there's nothing within these top four teams, uh, sometimes nothing within the top eight. On any given day, any of these top teams can beat each other if, if they get the tactics right, if players step up, etc. So, you know, it, it also proves the point that, and we mentioned this many times, that team's main target is to get to the finals. If you're in the eight, you have a chance. And that has been proven without question this time around. You know, we saw team seven and eight, um, Geelong and Sydney, win their initial finals. And now, as you said, we've seen the teams that finished third and fourth get to the grand final. And Brisbane have won their second premiership from fourth position on the ladder. So the main thing is get to the finals. You're in with a shout. Get to the top four. You have that second chance. Yeah. I definitely don't think uh, Melbourne and Adelaide are going to be going anywhere at all. For the first time in a long time, it looks like Melbourne might be under a little bit of pressure to hold on to some players. They have very successfully not lost any players across the last two seasons. So they may um, be down a few players now in, in across the trade season, but they will no doubt rebuild on that. So they're going to be there about Brisbane are established now as one of the great teams. As I said, most grand finals only the second team to win uh, multiple premierships. North are going to be there. Like It's the disappointing for them to lose in their first grand final. It was a fairytale season, but they've got a lot to build on. You know, They lost at preliminary final last year. Now they've lost the grand final. But 
they were there thereabouts. There wasn't much in it, and they'll be looking forward to to building it on that momentum going forward as well. So all boards for more excitement going forward. I know we're only finishing season twenty twenty three, but lots to look forward to. There certainly is. And the last question I have for you, Mike, it's a season in which Niamh Kelly became only the second Irish woman to be selected and named then on the AFLW's All-Australian Team of the Year. Jennifer Dunn has won an All-Ireland LGFA medal at senior level and a grand final medal in the same year. Orla Dwyer playing lights out football, uh, winning her second premiership. We've 33 women over in Australia. Is this the best return from the Irish contingent, I know it's the largest contingent, but is it is it proof positive when you see Eric O'Shea uh, signing a contract until twenty twenty five that this has been this is now a golden period for Irish players in Aussie rules? Without question, I think Jerry, yeah, best season so far, best performances by the Irish players, making significant contributions all across the ground, all across the clubs. Factory and Ashley Maloney at Geelong winning the best first year player of the year um, across the whole AFLW after only been out there for a few months. All of the players have contributors. All of them have excelled uh, across all the teams. But yeah, the best players in the competition now uh, are among the best players in the competition are, are arguably the Irish players, you know, without question. And that's fantastic to see. You know, Orla O'Dwyer consistently year after year. This was her fifth season. She now holds the record for the most Irish um, play, most Irish games ever on 55 games after the grand final. She surpassed Cora Staunton's 50 and Sarah Rowe. So... She's not going anywhere for another while. I'd imagine there's there's definitely a few more seasons left in order. So it's incredibly exciting from an Irish point of view, as you say, to have had 33 players this year, the most ever. But the success that they've achieved both individually and as part of their teams is phenomenal. And we'll drop a hook there's probably a few more Irish players on the way for oh, here we go <laughs> here we go I was going to end but we'd give you something to hook into for next year but there you've already done it yeah definitely look at that there, there'll be a few more Irish bodies we likely see a couple of uh, retirements in the listings as well of course as is the natural at an end of a season but there will be some more bodies heading out so yeah it, it's definitely at a peak uh, but exciting and uh, for the people here at home and for everybody watching uh, but as I say, yeah, the Irish players are dominating and it's fantastic to see. It is, and that's the best possible note to end our coverage of the 2023 AFLW season here on the Big Red Bench. We are absolutely privileged and delighted to have somebody with the brains and the analytical ability to make sense of it all in AFLW Ireland's Mike Cran throughout the season. We may not be finished yet. We may talk to Mike just before the end of the year, but on behalf of everybody here on the bench and and read of him and everybody that's enjoyed and got in touch and said how much they love the AFLW updates from me, Mike, thank you so much. Um, I can't believe the season is over. Remember, we were talking about it about to start and here it is. It's finally over, but we'll be back again bigger and better uh, very very soon absolutely Jaren thank you so much uh, I appreciate being on every week and as I say you, you just said it there I can't believe it's over as well but another amazing season in the bag and, and lots more to look forward to there is you're entitled to a short break Mike take it over the Christmas but we'll be talking to you again very very soon Mike Cran thank you very very much the Big Red Bench Saturday and Sunday from 6pm Orla Roach helped inspire Glanmire to a current account.ie All-Ireland Intermediate Club Championship semi-final win over Nafina from Meath at Mallow last Sunday Roach's 1-2 was instrumental in helping her Glanmire team overcome a dogged opponent in what was a low-scoring encounter All roads lead to Crow Park now on Saturday December 16th where Glanmire will face Leitrim's Balnamore Sean O'Heslands in the 2023 All-Ireland Intermediate Decider the Big Red Bench was there in Mallow and got the immediate aftermatch reaction of Glanmire manager Vince Barry. But first, here are Glanmire players Clodagh O'Donovan, Ellen Toomey, Ali McCarthy and Ava Carey. Uh, I'm here with a bunch of very, very happy Glanmire footballers who are heading to 
Crow Park and an All-Ireland final. Uh, I'll start with you, Coda. Congratulations. Uh, how did that... Uh, tough game today, but a fantastic feeling at the final whistle? Yeah, unbelievable feeling. We did make it tough for ourselves out there in the first half, but we came out better in the second half and just were delighted with ourselves now. Um, Low-scoring first half, but you got a spark in the second half there with Orla's goal. That really got you going. Yeah, we know we can always count on Orla for a good goal like that, and we're just happy she got it anyway. Uh, you looking forward to going up to Dublin for another Ireland final? Yeah, sure. I'd say half of us have never been to Crow Park in our lives. <laughs> so to be playing there now is going to be unreal and we can't wait for it. Well, well done to you. Ali, congratulations. Big, big day for the club and uh, heading to Dublin? Yeah, absolutely delighted. Great win in the end. <laughs> How excited are you about heading to Crow Park? <laughs> um, look, I suppose we... First, our main goal was the county final and then once we, we got the county final to where we wanted to be, we were able to broaden our horizon and have a look and the ultimate goal was Crow Park even though we were taking one game at a time so to finally be able to say that Crow Park is our number one goal now and there's nothing in between stopping us is a great thing to say and I think everyone played really well so it was was deserved in the end Yeah, it was a low scoring game and a tough game did you find it going tough in the first half? Yeah, it was tough in the first half mentally as well as physically, you know, kind of when they keep scoring and the head goes down. But when we came back in at halftime, we recouped and it was vital to get a good start. And luckily enough with Orla, then we were able to kind of build the momentum. We had our purple patch and we weren't, we weren't letting go of the purple patch. Excellent stuff. Ellen, how important uh, was that second half goal from Orla Rose just to get you going? Um, I suppose, well, we talked at halftime and we knew that we kind of hadn't gotten going yet and we knew that they kind of were at full tilt, tilt really and they were actually, we could see after 20 minutes they were tiring so we kind of had a chat at halftime, we got our head right and we said that if we kind of hit the ground running in the first half that we'd kind of hopefully just kind of outrun them in the end and get ahead of them so Orla's goal towards the start of the first half really gave us a boost and we could drive on from there so it was really, really important to kind of got us started again and we kind of played football the way we can play football and we were really happy after that we kind of just drove on Was it frustrating not being able to break them down especially start towards the end of the first half? Yeah I suppose it was I suppose we actually had a good bit of possession in the first half but any time we kind of broke up into their defence we were kind of finding it hard to break through and I suppose this kind of week with this match we were kind of focused on going down the wings and stuff like that and we were kind of sticking to our game plan but it wasn't really working so it was frustrating but again like as I said we knew that we hadn't gotten going yet I know we kind of had a slight bit of a breeze with us but we knew that if we picked ourselves up and drove on that we'd have loads in the tank to get over the line Excellent stuff Ava from your point of view um, really low scoring game today again but you're defence really stood up yeah I think that's one thing our defence is really good at is keeping composure because at the end of the day a kick of the ball can change the whole dynamic of a game so I think we just need to like we're good at like working the ball out keeping the head keeping possession and not getting too panicked because with panic then that's when the danger comes and I think we did really well at that today did you find it was a bit tiring today after travelling away last weekend took a while to get going well, I think like we're we're a young enough team, really. Um, but last week, last week, last week, we really, really felt the tiredness, and like we obviously had girls playing the camogie yesterday, yeah. so that was always something that we were worried about. But I don't think you could tell that we were tired on the pitch today. I think we really gave it everything till the last second. And heading out to Crow Park for an All Ireland final, how does that sound? I can't believe it. It was always kind of like whispers, you know, with the Czech Championship. You know, the finals in Croke Park this year now because when we yeah, were in it five yeah. years ago, we played in a little pitch in Ballinasloe. Like. Yeah, yeah. So up in Croke Park, it was like, oh my God, it's actually in our reach. And then with the Munster, we were like, okay, like it's in our reach. And then we had an extra hurdle to go with London and now yeah. we're finally going. Well, <laughs> it's fantastic for him. Delighted everyone on the big red bench is delighted. All the best in that all final. Thank, Thank you very, very much. much.
Okay, Vincey, congratulations. Managing Glenmore to an All-Ireland Intermediate Club final in Crow Park in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, first of all, it must sound really good, does it? <laughs> Unbelievable feeling, I'll be honest, yeah. Look, we started early in the year in January, started training. Our aim was to get to the county final. Mm. We partly guess we'd be meeting the Everborn, um, and we did, you know. Look, we just barely got over the hurdle with the Everborn. But we knew that if we got over the county, out of the county in Cork, we'd have a great opportunity of giving this all Ireland a good rattle. Um, which it did today, you know. I mean, you saw the first half really um, didn't play great in the first half, made a few alterations at half time, position changes, and you know, regrouped. Um, it showed in the second half. We, 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 our first 10 15 minutes in the second half, we were extraordinary. Mm. Extraordinary. What and Rena Cody in the corner. It worked a treat. Worked a treat. Ola Roach came into our own in the second half as yeah. well, with our attacking force. And, you know, she kind of opened them up really. Um, I did think Nafina did die, die a little bit in the second half, maybe yesterday or whatever. I think 10 or 12 girls playing yesterday. How much of a concern was that for you coming into that? Well, as you know, you know, four of our girls played with Sars yesterday. Three started and one came on. It was a concern. We had to manage this for the last month with Ty Gork, the manager of uh, Sars, you know. Yeah. Um, what we did is we made sure the girls were in training four times a week, you know. So what we did, we, we bought them. Do you know, we, we, we left them regroup, uh, looked after their health, um, do you know, and didn't overtrain them. That's one thing we didn't do. And I, I think it actually kept them fresh, I'll be honest, John, like, you know. Uh, I think it showed today. It showed today. Like, you know? Were you concerned at halftime? Because it was low scoring. There wasn't much happening and you needed a spark. And we got it from the from 1-2, like yeah. 10 minutes into the second half. But how worried were you going into the break? Extremely worried. Yeah. Extremely worried. And it showed two points in the first half. Yeah, yeah. I'll be honest. It's not No, not at all. But, you know, I thought Nafina were a doggy team today, yeah. to be very honest, yeah. you know. They... They probably had the homework done their top players now as well. They didn't give much space, you know. They got in tight, knocking away the ball. We, in the first half, had a world of mispassing. Mm. Our turnovers were incredible. Like, you know, I mean, Jesus, that's not like us all year, to be honest, you know. Mm. I think we 14 in the first half. Mm. That's not good enough, you know. Frustrating for you too. It was, in the sideline, yeah. We addressed these few hours now at halftime, you know, to be honest, uh, John. And uh, I think that... It worked. It worked. Position changes, but on a bit fresh legs. Um, you must. These girls are going since the twenty third of January. No, John. It's a long year. It's eleven months. Yeah. How much though? I was there in those yeah. last three intermediate finals yeah. before this year. Yeah. I know the hurt when you get so close. Mm. How hard has it been to mo- not to motivate them, but like obviously the momentum of finally getting over the Navevon this year yeah. in the county. Yeah. You seem like you're playing a lot freer since then. Now, granted, today you had to dog it out, but is that the difference that you got over that monkey off the back? hundred percent has to be. I mean, it's not good for players losing three county finals and the trot. Um, look, we regrouped the start of the year. We put a plan in place. We said that we're going to put everything behind us. What happened previous years, you know? Uh, the girls bought into it. Look, we bought in complete new management. You know, goalkeeper Billy O'Connor, James O'Shea, our, our free kicking coach. You know. Uh, you know, I knew it was Conor Quinlan, Sully, these people, you know, even, even our physio down to Esther and Louise O'Donovan, these people are just extraordinary. And, you know, it freshened it all up. New faces, you could see it, you know. I mean, it, it was extremely hard on the passive management, losing three finals is so disheartening. Mm. But, um, look, we regrouped and uh, obviously we did something right for us still here. <laughs> Lastly, yeah. OK, it's an all-earned final. It's going to be great excitement, oh. huge hype. How do you control that? No, because it's so close to Christmas as well mm. and it's Crow Park very important the old cliche Vince you know it was but as I do don't play the occasion because you've got to go up there and play the game but a real opportunity for these players too to play on 
you know, in a stadium that they deserve to be playing in. Mm. Of course, a lot of these girls were probably at Crow Park at, at a game before, never would have played. Ellen Murphy probably, was about, and Abby O'Manny, but the only two girls that ever played in the Crow Park. Mm. So, but just remember this, no, I'll be honest, no, uh, uh, Joe, a lot of our girls are young, mm. 16, 17 or 18. You don't fear these girls. <laughs> they just go into these stadiums and it's like going into Glamour in the pipe below. Mm. You know, it, it, it's, we, will, we will manage it, all right, I'll be honest with you, but, you know, we'll enjoy tonight. And we'll enjoy preparing for the next two weeks. Be very honest. Excellent stuff, Vinci. All the best from everyone on the red bench. Well done. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Cork's Red FM. Cork LGFA Club O'Donovan Rossa are heading for Parallel Park and a current account.ie All-Ireland LGFA Junior Club Championship final appearance following victory over Gusseran at O'Donovan Rossa Park last Saturday. What a day it was for the West Cork Club on their home ground in Skibbereen and what a team this Rossa senior setup has transformed into over the past 12 months. From 1-15 to 15 plus all their game changers off the bench, this O'Donovan Rossa team is a serious outfit and now are one step from All-Ireland glory. The Big Red Bench was there and got the immediate aftermatch reaction of O'Donovan Rossa manager James O'Donovan plus O'Donovan Rossa players Emer McCarthy, Fanula O'Driscoll and team captain Lisa Hart. But first, here's Laura O'Mahony and Trina Murphy. Right, I'm here with the two midfielders from the winning O'Donovan Rossa team following their All-Ireland semi-final victory over Gusseran. Laura Manny and Trina Murphy. Trina, first to you. Congratulations. That goal in the first half gave you a nice cushion going into half-time. Yeah, it was nice. All right, um, I didn't expect it. I was going for a point in fairness, but uh, it was nice to get it under the bar in fairness, yeah. Always say you're going for goals, Trina. Uh, they were a tough opponent today in a heavy pitch, but you did, it. you did what you had to do. Very tough, yeah. Um, in fairness, the pitch was in great condition. It was tough going, but uh, I think we put in a great team performance and we uh, won it out in the end, so it was great. Looking forward to an all earned final week for Christmas up in Parnell Park. Oh, unbelievable. Like, words can't even describe it. Yeah, it'll be unreal. Best of luck to you in that. Uh, Laura Manny, you went down injured just near the end there, but you're okay? Yeah, literally just cramp. I'd say the, the soft ground kind of brought it on, maybe. <laughs> uh, nothing to do with the two of you running up and down the pitch for the full hour and a bit. Like, congratulations. Has it sunk in? You're in an all earned final, and how important were the supporters here today? Yeah, exactly. Having it in our home pitcher, like it's, it means so much to us and it means so much to everyone outside the wire as well and our management, I think, really showed there today that everyone came out and supported us. The weather wasn't great, but didn't stop people. They brought their hats and woolly scarves and things and their umbrellas, so we're delighted. Uh, your defence showed up again today, shut them down, load of turnovers, got you going home, partner there. Yeah, exactly. Like Eamon McCarthy, Ali Tobin, Michelle Donlin, they all got the blocks in, the tackles in. And like, that's something that we were working on. We knew that Gus Aran had good forwards and that we needed to stop them in order to get the win today. Congratulations to you both. Go enjoy it. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks time in Dublin. Thanks, Thanks very, very much, much uh, Eamon McCarthy, congratulations. All earned final bond. How's that sound? Oh, just brilliant. Couldn't imagine it could go any better, to be honest. Um, we're all just elated and... Move it around to next week or in two weeks' time. Sorry. Yeah. Um, another fantastic performance by the defence today. You held them to six, seven points. Brilliant performance. But also, you got those two goals. They were crucial scores for you. Yeah, I think um, we knew we were coming up a very good opposition. So I think our defence, we really need to be really strong. And I think, to be fair, today we proved it to ourselves that we can be. And then once they went up the field, then it was their forwards problem and they really executed really well today. So, yeah, it was a great team performance. Uh, you had your hands full today, but the, the whole town was behind you. Fantastic crowd out here. Did that help? Yeah, no, having friends, family, neighbours, everyone here was just brilliant. It just lifts the spirits when things get a little bit harder to look around. And, yeah, it's been brilliant. And looking forward to the week before Christmas and early Christmas present, we hope, in Parallel yeah, Park. Yeah. But lovely to be looking forward to it. Yeah, no, it's brilliant. You walk in, what more could you want for a day? So, yeah. 
Congratulations, well done, Eamon. Thank you, uh, Driscoll, congratulations. All-Ireland final bone. How does that sound? Oh, absolutely amazing. It's uh, it's dreams come true kind of stuff, and especially to play at home here in Skibreen. It's it's everything we could have ever wanted, so absolutely delighted. Massive team effort. So, yeah, buzzing now, buzzing. <laughs> you got off to a brilliant start, as you did against Glasgow. How important was that? Oh, hugely. Um, again, like we didn't know a lot about Gusseron, but we just knew we had to come out of the traps, fighting straight away, get a few scores on the board, and give ourselves a good platform to work off of. Uh, you took that goal very well in the second half. I'm happy with that. Thanks. Yeah, I loved it. In fairness, it was a great ball from Laura, so I, I can't take all the credit. But uh, no, delighted to get on the end of it. But uh, but yeah, no, like, like again, huge team effort. So yeah. Uh, heavy pitch today and a really tough opponent and bad weather as well. You had it all thrown at you, but you found the answers. Yes, I suppose like this time of year, you kind of have to expect the, this kind of weather. I think, yeah, the pitch was heavy and that kind of stuff. A few cramps, uh, that kind of way with the girls. But but yeah, we love a bit of adversity. So it's uh, it's great to get the win. <laughs> Congratulations. Well done. Perfect. Thanks a million. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thanks, okay, Manola. Thank you. James O'Donovan, congratulations. All earned final mission accomplished. Can I first ask you, you got off to a great start the last day in the quarterfinal in Glasgow. You also got off to a great start today. How important was that? Oh, it was massive. It was massive. I suppose it's our home crowd. Um, home pitch we wanted to just get out and hit the ground running and to be fair to the girls as soon as they they got three points on the board straight away there in the first few minutes like and it, it, it kind of it, it kind of took the nerves away from us and gave us a chance to play and uh, we did play after that you know Trina Murphy's goal was also well worked fantastic finish and that gave you a bit of a cushion going into half time yeah absolutely brilliant finish from Trina like Trina Murphy is an unbelievable athlete like it did not surprise me that she was in the end of that like, and, and 30 seconds later she'll be in the goal on the other side like she's just an unbelievable athlete worked so hard and I was delighted for her to get she got the goal she got reward for all her hard work you know we've talked all year about your defence they were outstanding again today not just the tackling the turnovers and the, the attacks that they launched must be immensely proud of how they've worked uh, they're unbelievable like and like we have said it like they're the platform for, our, for all our victories and I thought like, today they, they beat they beat all they were just brilliant um like we're up against some good forwards there, like we were some some intercounty forwards there, like and the girls like they just they just fought so hard, they didn't give up on nothing, and and you know they 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 just they give their their our team basically they set us up for our wins every single day, and I'm just delighted for them, you know. Uh, it was game management once they went down to 14 and 13 players and you managed it very well you got that goal near the end from Fanola yeah. uh, we saw Laura Donovan, Laura Manny go down injured is she okay? yeah it just looks like a cramp I say she's fine I say she's fine so all good uh, and now we look ahead for a couple of weeks just before Christmas when all are in final at Parallel Park in Dublin um, fantastic well deserved and you'll be very excited about that that's going to be brilliant so next two weeks are going to be uh, a carnival in Skibreen this is going to be fantastic and you know all are in final stuff of dreams delighted excellent stuff well deserved James congrats the Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Cork's Red FM's Formula One expert and Big Red Bench presenter, Sarah McKenzie Foley, join me on the Women of Sport podcast to provide analysis and her end-of-season Formula One review. Sarah and I discussed her season highlights, including Lewis Hamilton's pole lap in the Hungarian Grand Prix and all the drama from the Singapore Grand Prix, where Ferrari's unexpected win occurred. Sarah also discussed her season lowlights, including how early the 2023 Formula One Drivers and Constructors Championships were won, plus the horrific conditions drivers endured at the Qatar Grand Prix. We also discussed Formula One drivers Oscar Piastri, Alex Albon, Sergio Perez and Lance Stroll's contrasting fortunes from the 2023 Formula One campaign. Okay, so the Formula One season may well be done and dusted and uh, Max Verstappen and Red Bull uh, basking in the glow of a very, very dominant season for Red Bull. But there was plenty of talking points to come out of F1 this season. So no one better than our resident Formula One expert here on Corkswood FM and Big Red Bench radio presenter Sarah McKenzie Foley to join me to have a quick look through the season that was 2023. Sarah, how are you? Good, thanks. Yeah, I'm excited to, to do a bit of a review. 
Yes, lots to review. We're not going to get to everything uh, for those no. complaining that you've been mentioning your specific team, but we are going to get, cover some of the main things that you wanted to talk about. And we start on a positive note with a lot of highlights. And amazingly, Lewis Hamilton is at the top of your list. I did not expect that. Sarcasm alert. Um, and you want to talk about a very specific moment from Hamilton's season. Yeah, it, the, the poll at the Hungarian Grand Prix just felt like... It felt like a breath of fresh air and it's, it ties in in that way to my other highlight that we're going to get to in a minute because both of them were very much moments where we got to see a bit of something else, a bit of something different and uh, really a bit of excitement because as you said at the beginning, there was so much Red Bull dominance this year that we were really at times crying out for something different and the Hamilton pole lap really felt like one of those to me. And I think it also came at a good time where this has happened, I think pretty much every year since we've been doing this podcast, at some point you've said to me, oh, I don't think his head is in it. Like what's, what's going on? And it's, it's true at times it looks like that, but actually the joy that he had just from, just from setting that poll time was, uh, it was quite nice to see. I think it was a bit of the old Lewis Hamilton. And yeah, just before we leave that, it was also a microcosm, you know, of what might have been for Mercedes, mm. like when they got it all together and things, when they just got it right off, off track and on track, look what they could do. And I suppose the yeah. frustration from that, Sarah, following that he wasn't able to follow that up, that probably made mm. it more of a frustrating end of the season. But you're right, it was, it was, I mean, only half in the third love of Lewis Hamilton, but it was <laughs> a moment when we were reminded and we needed reminding, I think that this mm. guy is one of the best drivers of all time um, in a season when all the headlines were exactly the same about Max and Red Bull off in the distance. Um, the frustration would have been that he, they couldn't build on it. Yes, 100%. Absolutely. And I think that's that frustration became more and more palpable as the season went on. And I think really there's going to be very little patience, if any, I think at the beginning, the beginning of the 2024 season for anything like that happening again. But we'll have to wait and see. Indeed. I'm glad that one of the highlights you've mentioned is also one of mine. It's rare enough that I got to say it, but Farza Ferrari, a win at the Singapore Grand Prix. And of course, you can't be a Ferrari win without drama. Yeah, exactly. And I think it was it was more dramatic possibly because it was Carlos Sainz. You know, every I think lots of people do think of Charles Leclerc as that number one driver at Ferrari. But really, Sainz he started to pull things out of the bag where we were sitting up and listening more, which to be fair, we've been waiting for him to do that because he he had that potential when he was at McLaren. And that's the whole reason why he would have moved to Ferrari is to try and win Grand Prix. And obviously in his, you know, his hopes would be that he would win championships with them as well. So I think that sort of added a bit of spice to it as well. The fact that it was Carlos Sainz and it was just similar to the the Mercedes point you made just them getting it right mm. it was quite nice to see and it was just again just a different headline and something that obviously the only non Red Bull win of the whole year which is which is a massive feat really and uh, segues very nicely into one of your first lowlights of the season but just how early the championship was won yeah rather than dwell on that because we did cover that quite well in that red but we're just so dominant how hopeful are you and I know it's very early to be asking pre-season testing hasn't even started yet they're not even in the wind tunnels maybe they are um, <laughs> how hopeful are you that we will have an actual constructors and drivers championship battle next year it I'm is not, really hard I'm to not. sorry I, I should probably I, answer first I'm not <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm the opposite then. I'm, I'm remaining hopeful because I think 
if the longer it goes and the closer we get to these, you know, 2026 regulation changes, I become slightly worried because the ones, the set of regulation changes that we've just had were supposed to revolutionize racing and they helped a bit, but they certainly didn't revolutionize it. Now, these are an entirely different set, but I, I really would rather see the teams make their own development leaps than to constantly having to be relying on regulation changes. Like that is not what mm. you want to see. It's, it's, it's akin to if, you know, the football federations of the world came together and decided that they were making a big change to the offside rule because they thought that things had got boring. You know what I mean? Like, Don't it's give just, ideas. it's, <laughs> yeah, not, not to rule it out, but it's just too, mm. I don't want it to be that. I want it to happen on track. So I'm I'm remaining hopeful with not much evidence, but hopeful nonetheless. Well, I admire your uh, constant positivity and your hopefulness. I'm just old, an old Formula One fan. I'm just sick of seeing the same guys win all the time. I do hope, I think what does give me hope is that Mercedes certainly have been planning this coming season from, from a year out. So they mm. knew very quickly and they were very honest, even though I didn't believe them at the start that the car was crap and that it wasn't going to be a good year but that everything had to go into next year. They have to be competitive next year. Ferrari showed when they get their act together that they can do some nice things. Aston Martin were there bubbling along nicely at different times. McLaren mm-hmm. have two fantastic young drivers. Yep. They've just got to get it right. So there is hope. I don't know if there's hope that Red Bull will be unseated and that Max won't win the World Championship, but I suppose I'm more hopeful that we'll actually have a battle in both of them, and that's what Absolutely. the sport needs. But you're dead You're dead right, 100%. You can't keep changing regulations, trying to make it all even. It doesn't work. Nope. And uh, it's not going to work in the future. One other low light before we move on to some of the drivers that impressed you this past year. The Qatar Grand Prix was not one for the memory banks and uh, for very specific reasons. Yeah, it was really, it was quite ugly, really. It was difficult to watch at times and certainly hearing what the drivers were going through over the team radio was really shocking. And I think it also very much split opinion afterwards. You know, there were a lot of drivers and pundits, etc., who said, oh, you know, they're, they're at the top of their game. They should be able to do this. And it's, you know, they're just, they'll get over it. But personally, I don't find it, I don't find that particularly believable. You know, there are sports like, you know, endurance marathons and desert races and things like that, where, yes, you you sign up and you know that these conditions are going to be present. But I think there should have been better planning in this scenario. Like there was an option to not make it this difficult. And I think that they should have figured out a way to do that because you, you just can't have drivers throwing up in their helmets and then continuing for the rest of the race. And you certainly don't want to have them barely being able to get out of the car afterwards. And it was the vast majority Mm. of the field. So it was just kind of, it was tough to watch at times and definitely not enjoyable. My concern with that, Sarah, is that the, the weather conditions were so bad in Qatar, yet the race had to go ahead because the, we've got TV rights, we've got a Netflix series, so we really don't care about you and you should be able for rubbish. There was a time in Formula 1, as you know, when Michael Schumacher was in the driver's rooms before races. There was a time when John Alessi, Gerhard Berger, when Senna was in those, and you just, the things you would try to do, they would not allow it, and they would galvanise the rest of the drivers to make sure that the safety regulations were pushed and that things that certain people wanted to do were stopped. I know there's characters in there. I know there's big egos in there. And I know there's good drivers in there. There's Max and and Lewis Hamilton have got a lot of sway and uh, rightly so. But is there enough characters to turn around and go, no, we're not doing this and we're all not doing this together. Are are we now gone beyond that in Formula One when money talks? 
Yeah, I think I 100% agree. The driver briefings, I don't think, have as much impact. They, on certain topics, they're quite, they seem to be quite strong. I think when you have a head of the driver's group like Sebastian Vettel was for a number of years, again, that's another voice that would really push for things. And he was quite passionate about something once he, once he kind of got onto it. So, I think potentially you could be right. I mean, we may never know because these things happen behind closed doors, but I think, yeah, it just doesn't seem, it doesn't seem right for that to happen. You know, races should be hard, but they shouldn't be nigh on impossible. And certainly nobody should be giving up mid-race. None of them ever want to do that. And and we did have a driver that had to do that. So I just don't think it's, it's the right way to go. It certainly isn't. Now, one of the drivers that dazzled you this year was Alex Albon. Why is that? Yeah, I just, I I put quite a bit of thought into this and I suppose Max would have been the obvious one, but I really just feel like Alex Albon dragged every drop of performance and then a bit more out of his Williams. And he also completely carried the team's point scoring responsibilities because you know, Logan Sargent, although he was a rookie and he's in a difficult car, difficult car, he only scored one point. So everything else went down to Alex Albon and he's, he's launched them from P10 at the Constructors Championship to a P7 in the space of a year, which is huge. And he had four retirements as well in the middle of that. So I think it's, it's really positive. I think James Veld moving from Mercedes to Williams was hugely helpful. And even when you hear him come over the the pit wall radio on Sky's coverage, he is measured but optimistic. And I think that he has a good idea for what they can do with the resources that they have. And I think that's really important. And they also figured out a bit more about how to get pace on both days of a weekend, in the case of a sprint on all three days. And I think the more that they develop that and the more that they fix what needs to be fixed I think Alex Albon can actually really help bring Williams back into a positive light because they were I mean they were down in the dumps and at one point almost out of the sport entirely and that was really sad so I was just delighted to see them have a bit more positive coverage and and especially for Alex because he's had a tough time in Formula 1. He has, and Frank Williams would certainly approve um, of a driver yes. of this calibre, and you're right. I'm glad you mentioned it because he did get every drop out of that Williams. One other driver, and I'm glad you wanted to give him an honourable mention because he's somebody that caught my eye as well. Oscar mm-hmm. Piastri, um, really, really breakout year for him. Can he, mm-hmm. why, first of all, and can he carry it into 2024? He's just, we've spoken about it during the year, but he's just very calm and he's smart. He plays the team game, but he also knows how to show the team hey, look, this is what I'm capable of if you give me first preference. And I think that that's a very clever way to play it. You know, you do your talking out on the track. It's, you know, the best drivers really do it that way. And I think that he he's managed to finish, you know, in the top 10 of the Drivers' Championship. He's ahead of drivers that have been there much longer, like Pierre Gasly and Esteban Ocon. His potential was clear from the start. It was just a question of could he live up to it? And I think absolutely he has the potential to be a future world championship winner for sure. He certainly does. Um, two very, very good drivers there, as you mentioned, Alex Albon and Oscar Piastri. On the opposite end of the spectrum to finish, we talk about one pl- drivers that disappointed, and I, I'm glad you brought this one up, uh, and that is Sergio Perez, because I tried to give him as much time and effort and hoping mm. he turned things around, but what Max did in the Red Bull compared to what Sergio couldn't do was just yeah. too glaringly obvious. How is he still in that seat, and why 
do you think he was so poor this year? Yeah, I think really it just got to his head. You know, it really did. And I think the the biggest disappointment for him was that his his strong performances in pre- previous years weren't rewarded. And I think he underestimated the extent to which that is Max Verstappen's team, regardless of who is in that second seat. I think he kept the second seat because he lived, well, part one, because he lived up to the agreement to to keep up the P2 in the championships. So they got a one and two. I think secondly, because there was so much up and down and, and different personnel at Alpha Tauri, there wasn't quite enough of a business case probably to to turf him out just yet. And I think really just for me, the biggest disappointment is that it did the hype around it and the negative energy that he was obviously experiencing. He did let it overcome his racing instincts because he is a good racer. He is a solid racer. He used to be the king of street circuits. He used to be the tire whisperer and all of those things seemed to disappear. And that was just the the biggest disappointment for me. Yep. hundred percent agree with you there. Very hard to argue with any of that. And it'd be very interesting to see if he couldn't handle the pressure this year, how is he going to handle it next year, knowing that his, his drive might be gone? It would be very interesting to see that. Finally, one honourable mention. I'm glad you brought this guy's name up as well, Lance Stroll, uh, who just... Uh, oh, you, you finish it because I can't. I despair. <laughs> I despair. Yeah, I just... Like, he seemed to actually just completely disengage at times from the sport. Like, not just from... You know, obviously, Aston Martin had quite a big mid-year slump. But he just he just didn't seem to care. And I, I I don't have anyone arguing against that because he's not really saying that he does, you know. He's not if he's saying it, he's certainly not showing it. His lack of performance over the last couple of years continues to become a meme in the Formula One community. And look, his dad is the head of the team. We had this with another Canadian driver with Nicholas Latifi. His family were bankrolling Williams for a few years. It just eventually, surely, somebody at Aston Martin who is up higher than than Lawrence Stroll has to just say enough, enough is enough, because it's just it was awful at times, really, to watch, and it has been awful for quite a while. And I don't think he's adding anything to the grid. There's only twenty guys out there, and I just personally, I don't think he should be one of them. No, and I don't think he would be there, but for daddy's money, and that's I know he's well used to hearing that criticism come at him, but he's. There's the, the, the evidence backs it up this year. He just wasn't on his game at all. And it's what could have been done in that car with a more versatile and more motivated driver, as you said, um, might have been very, very different. Well, that was an interesting uh, race, pardon the pun, through the Formula 1 2023 season, looking at your highlights, lowlights, and the drivers that dazzle and disappointed. We'll be talking F1 again very, very soon. But in the interim, Sarah Mackenzie Foley, where, when can we hear you on the radio and where can we find you on social media? Yes, so you can hear me on the Big Red Bench on Sundays from 6pm and you can also catch me on Twitter slash X, whatever we're supposed to be calling it now, uh, at MacTweets underscore and you can also find me on YouTube, Sarah McKenzie F1. Excellent stuff. We'll talk again soon, Sarah. Thanks for that. Thanks, sir. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Resident rugby expert Wendy Keenan joined me on this week's Corks Red FM Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast to review the latest women's AIL results involving UL Bohemians and Colleg. Wendy also has all the latest Munster Women's Adult Division 1 and Division 2 league results plus recent Munster Under 18 results from across the province. 
We also have an update on the upcoming Celtic Cup where two Irish teams, the Wolfhounds and the Clovers, will meet at Musgrave Park on December 29th. Now it's that time of the week again here on Cork Shirt FM's Big Red Bench where we talk all things Munster Women's Rugby and lots and lots to get through even at this late stage of the year between the Celtic Cup, the Women's AIL and the Munster Women's Adult and Under 18 Leagues. Only one person to turn to and that's our resident rugby expert here on Cork Shirt FM, Wendy Keenan. Wendy, how are you? I'm great, sir. How are you keeping? I'm good. I'm good. It's busy, busy, busy. And uh, we thought it'd be quite, 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 but it isn't. It's very busy and we're, we're happy with that. Even though it was a, uh, the weather wasn't great over the last week or so, we have lots to talk about. And we start with news of the Celtic Cup, which we touched upon last week. But we have news of two new Irish teams and some interesting Irish team names and a fixtures list for uh, the upcoming competition. Yeah, hot, hotly released, but um, the Wolfhounds and the Clovers are going to be the two names. Um, just to, for anybody that, that isn't aware, we're going to have two new Irish teams competing in the Celtic Cup, where we only had one last year, so hence the names. Um, and I'm delighted that their first match is going to be in Musgrave Park on the 29th of December at 1pm, and they're going to be playing each other in round one. That should so hopefully attract a bit of a crowd if we uh, promote it coming into it. Great idea. Yeah, and it's wonderful. It's Friday, so, you know, people probably still be on holidays, looking for something to do, especially if you young kids, you know what I mean? They might have new scooters, new bikes, you know what I mean? It, it's a lovely time to have a match um, in the middle of the afternoon. So, look, really exciting. Delighted that they're coming to Cork. Didn't expect that, um, I must say. And we'll see the Clovers back in round three. They'll be back in Cork playing the Glasgow Warriors at 1pm on the 13th of January. So, two opportunities there Um where we'll see them and then we'll have a gap on the international circuit in terms of court matches and that'll skip forward to April when um, we'll have our, our next Irish match. But we'll talk about that after Christmas. Um, two Irish teams, two Irish squads, but we talked about this just very briefly. This is your opportunity to put your hand up for selection. Now, so the, the intensity of these games will mean they're worth watching because they're they're not just going and running through the middle. These are players that are trying to get on international teams in all the games that you're going to watch. But the fact that you have two Irish teams going head-to-head straight off, there will be nothing held back, I would imagine, Wendy, in that. And just to put it in context, I said this was going to have a knock-on effect on domestic rugby within the provinces. There's 14 UL players have been invited into the squad and two from Ballincollig. So if 14 girls from the UL squad you know, take their places... You know, across the two squads, it has a it has a real knock on effect, doesn't it? In terms, I think um, the nearest is Blackrock, maybe with fourteen. Um, I need to confirm that though. But um, look, I mean, it's wonderful that we're going to see the first, like you know, clash between the. There'll be no holes there. Don't don't worry about that. You know what I mean? They won't be sitting down uh, gorging over the Christmas dinner. They'll be thinking that opportunity a couple of days later, where they'll be they will be fighting for their places on the Six Nations. It is wide open. Yes, and rightly so. Something to look forward to. December 29th, as you said, in Musgrave Park, the uh, Irish Wolfhounds taking on the Irish Clovers in the Celtic Cup. Two Irish teams going head-to-head, and we will talk a lot about that in the build-up to it as well. Great news. We turn our attention to the women's AIL, where the aforementioned um, Balancholic and UL Bohemians were both in action this past weekend, Wendy. Yeah, round nine now of the WAL. Gosh, and the week's flying. Um, look, disappointing loss for Ballincollig. They probably would have thought that they would have won, maybe even been looking at a bonus point. Um, but they lost to Gall Regions, even though it was a narrow defeat, 21-14, um, which sees them slip to sixth position. Um, I did make a phone call about the match, but they were too gutted to talk about it. I think there may have been two intercept tries, I'm not sure, oh. um, relation to that. Um, and it's Gull Region's first win of the league too, so they'll be absolutely thrilled. Um, you know, two coaches there that are very, um, 
that are great friends off the pitch, um, one for Gold Regions, one for, for Balancholic, but a superb win again for UL Bowes, um, really, uh, highly contested match against Old Belvedere. 2015 was the final score. So they stay on number one, um, on the number one podium, um, with 38 points. They're six ahead of Railway Union now. Um, so they're really, um, Holding their own that in and next up they'll host uh, Wicklow next weekend. And we do believe the next league match for Ballincollig is on the 10th of February and they're away to Zetonians. Okay. It just shows you now how the Celtic Cup, the Six Nations, how they have an impact on, on the league competitions. Yes, but it's all good because there's plenty of rugby in the headlines as well, but that is quite a gap as well. But it's an opportunity as well to get back to the training pitch for those that are still available and get back to basics and bounce back. So, you know, maybe a rest sometimes for these players isn't the worst thing in the world either, Wendy. Yeah, and they'll have cup competitions um, built in there. You know, it's just, it's hard to keep motivation, you know, when you don't have the big squad training all the time. I think um, the two girls from um, from Ballantolig are both from the front row. So, you know, they have to, you know, figure that one out now within the club. So, look, it might be an opportunity for another girl to step up or maybe, you know, I mean, uh, somebody come on dual status across or on loan across to fill that gap. As you've highlighted before, it's the next, in the men's game, it's the next man up, it's the next woman up. No, this is what happens. Players get called into international squads. Junior club members have to step up into the adult senior section or whatever the equivalent is in that club. So why shouldn't it be the same for the women as the men? These are opportunities now for players who might not have thought they'd have gotten them before uh, and might be the making of them. You just never know. Uh, disappointment, as you said, for Ballincollig losing the Gal Regions 21-14, but, but UL Bowes continuing their terrific season 2015 away to Old Belvedere at the top of the women's AIL. We move from the National League and we turn our attention to the always exciting Munster Women's Adult League with a roundup of what's been happening or what has managed to go ahead in both Divisions 1 and Division 2, Wendy. Yeah, we weren't really hit by the weather here, um, Ger. I'm going to start with the Division 2. So you'll be disappointed with the first result. Clannacilty 17, Thurless 19. Um, Clannacilty, I'm sure, would have loved to, you know, creep in the wind, but Thurless will be delighted. Seven tries uh, scored from Mallow with a score of 47 against Ballincollig 19. And four tries for Middleton 26 um, against Bantry Bay with five. And they'll be absolutely thrilled. So just to put it in context, in terms of the league table, so Middleton are leading the way on 17 points, followed closely by Brough. They've three wins from three. They had a weekend off there, um, but they have a match in hand and they're on 15 points, followed by Thurless, Mallow, Bantry Bay, Ballincollig and Clonakilty. So um, all to play for there, quite, quite close there in the top half of that um, league table. In the Division 1 league then, not a great day in the office for Skibbereen, I'm, I'm afraid. They were beaten at home um, by 60 to 5 um, by Shannon. Uh, Shannon seemed to be growing in strength by strength. Um, Ennis Kilrush had a big win over Dolphin, 62-19. And UL Bowes, again, the winning streak continues, 34-20 uh, over Tralee. So after four rounds and all matches being played, UL Bowes are in the lead with 15 points, followed closely by Tralee on 14 points, then Shannon on 13 points, Ennis Kilrush also have 13 points, and then Skibbereen and Dolphin. So again, it's quite close there as well. So it's going to be a a really exciting second half to that uh, competition. And once again, I take the opportunity to to congratulate and to identify the social media coverage of the women's games is getting better and better each week. It's very easy if you go on Instagram, if you go on Twitter, but certainly Instagram, which is what I do, all of these clubs are very good at promoting their games before they occur. And they're also very good at promoting the results and what's happening. Some are getting very good, like Clan, just my own hometown club, a brief match report afterwards, but it makes such a difference. And it looks so good, Wendy, when all the teams in all across the province are doing it. Like it does really bring up the standard of the league in terms of social media and attracting attention. 
it's almost getting competitive now, isn't it? The reels are so good that, that I, I often look at, you know, something we made and I'm saying, where are they getting those graphics? They're absolutely fantastic. But yeah, look, it is fantastic to see. They're very good at promoting both teams, if I might mm. say it. So it's not one-sided. You know what I mean? Even with one club, they're, you know, they really are showing their opposition. And I love seeing the photographs when they're all in it together, but the action shots. Um, are absolutely fantastic. You know, the tackles going in, the lifting, you know, the passing, the try scoring, the smiles mm. um, and the expressions on people's faces. It's lovely to catch that moment. And um, you're, you're dead right. They really are exposing the clubs in such a positive light in terms of what they're sharing. Yeah, and let's hope they keep doing it as well, of course, as the Monster Women's Rugby Instagram accounts and the Monster Minis and the Monster Youths. Can't not say that, Wendy, now can I not? We finished this week's segment by uh, with a look at a roundup, a brief roundup of the Monster Under 18 results recently. Yeah, lots of postponements now last weekend. I remember lots of frozen pitches. So I just, um, I have five results um, for it under 18s. So that at under 18s, we have. Ennis 53, uh, n- uh, 19 points from Mallow, Mitchellstown, Clinturk. You can see Ennis there growing from strength mm. to strength. But I have to say a couple of years ago, I remember Ennis winning 14, 16s, 18s all on the one day. So they're back to probably where they were at full strength. Clonakilty had a strong win over Killarney, 29-17. Yeah, I can see you smiling there now with that score. <laughs> and uh, Dunmanway Bantry were too strong for Middleton Yola or from Y, 13-0. And um, Ballincollig were too strong for their neighbours, Dolphin, 35-5. And one under 14 match, there was a catch-up match, Dungarvan, 33, against Dolphin Old Christians, who had 19 points. So, um, look, g- great to see the matches still going ahead. There'll be lots more this weekend to make up for last weekend. So we hope there's not uh, frozen pitches. And we have to mention two girls off the pitch, two of our injured Munster girls that were on the sideline at Munster uh, in Musgrave Park at the weekend covering the Munster match, Emer Considine and Darwin Nicobard. So uh, great to see our Munster legends on the sideline and on television as well. Yes, you can never get enough of those two players and we've had them on. We're lucky enough to have them on here on the, on the Corkshire FM as well in the past and they're very, very good talkers and know what they're talking about. Very, very knowledgeable of the game as well as being excellent at it when they're on the pitch. Um, getting five games played last, uh, considering the weather, is a, is a success, I would say, under 18 or 14, so well done on that. But it's been another very, very busy period both on and off the pitch in Munster Women's Rugby Circles. I'm sure it'll be just as busy again next week and we'll have Wendy Keenan back to take us through it all again. But for now, thank you very much. Thanks a million, Jer. That's it for another Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. Remember to subscribe to the Big Red Bench on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and you can also listen online at redextra.ie. Don't forget to tune into the Big Red Bench with Rory O'Hagan, Colm O'Sullivan, and guests between 6 and 7 p.m. on the radio every Saturday and Sunday. Follow the Big Red Bench across all our social media channels, as well as visiting our official website, redfm.ie. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM.